So we're continuing our series through the letters of the book of Revelation found in chapters 2 and 3. Last week, we looked at the church at Ephesus, and we heard that the church at Ephesus was a church known for its good works, its perseverance, its sound theology, but there was one thing, one very serious thing that the Lord had against them. And figure out if you can, well, you can remember it or you can figure it out from this. There's no tenderness anymore in your fingertips. You're trying hard not to show it, baby. But baby, baby, I know it. They'd lost that loving feeling. Now today, we're looking at the church at Smyrna. Their problem was a little different. First, I was afraid. I was petrified. <laughs> thinking I could never live without you by my side. I will survive. The church at Smyrna is, it's a very bleak picture that is painted for this church. And what Jesus is telling them through, through John is to remind themselves that they will survive. Let's hear these words to the church at Smyrna. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days, but be faithful even to the point of death. And I will give you life as a victor's crown. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. These letters have a similar form. Each one starts with a, a salutation that includes one of the descriptions of Jesus that we find in Revelation chapter 1, some words that describe uh, who Jesus is, especially in light of the particular situation at the particular church. Then um, there is usually a commendation to the church of what they're doing well, usually a grievance that Jesus has against the church, the consequence of that grievance, the action plan to overcome that situation, and a promise for those who will overcome. And then at the end, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. But in Smyrna, to, in the letter to the church at Smyrna, there is no criticism. There is nothing that Jesus says they're doing wrong. But interestingly, there's not much he says they're doing right. Because the church at Smyrna is so oppressed that to survive, to carry on, is about all that can be asked of them. And in surviving and carrying on and keeping the faith, their lampstand, in other words, their witness, still burns. Because people see them in their persecution and see that there is something strengthening them outside of what would normally make sense. 
Something is strengthening them to endure without bitterness or anger or retaliation. And the people see this, and that is their greatest witness. Many years ago, there was a book written, Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's biographies of various martyrs through the history of the church. And martyr, a martyr is a person who gives up their life for their faith. And throughout the history of the church, it has been martyrdom that has fueled the fires of faith. People who are willing to suffer have increased the faith of those around them. This is the message that Smyrna gets. That message is the Christian life is not always easy, and the promises of relief are not always immediate, nor are they always for this life. Yet, we are called to remain faithful. Now, Smyrna was a beautiful city. It was um, sitting on a hill surrounded by a circular harbor. It was a city of wealth. It was a city in which people did very well. Now, Smyrna, uh, the word, the name, comes from uh, the word myrrh, which we know from um, the wise men bringing gifts to Jesus, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And myrrh is, um, you get it like you get maple syrup, cutting a tree and letting the sap flow. And myrrh, though, was used for embalming. So just think about what, how nice it would be if Ridley Park renamed ourselves to formaldehyde. That's why I laughed in the, when I was reading it. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, th their name is maybe not the best, but myrrh is different from formaldehyde. You've, in bio class, smelled formaldehyde. It's not pleasant. But myrrh was a very pleasant smell. And that was how Smyrna got its name. It was a place where there were a lot of the trees that from which they got myrrh. It was, as I said, a successful city. However, the Christians in Smyrna would not bow their knee to the Roman, God, to the Roman governors. So they were blacklisted. They were not able to get the jobs. They were not able to live in their society in a way that allowed them to have wealth. There are different words in Greek for struggling, and the word here is thlipsis, which I might say a few more times because it's fun to say, thlipsis, but it's not fun to endure. Thlipsis means crushing persecution. There's a sense in which it, it, it comes from the, the wagon wheels in a track, and the, if, the, if the wagon is, is heavily laden, the, the track will get deeper and deeper, but it's not just that, that image of the track and the pressure that's there. It's an ongoing thing. It's a, a persecution that is heavy and long-lasting. That is what these folks are enduring. There are a couple words for poverty as well. There is a word that means poor, that means it's hard to make ends meet. But then there's a word that means it is impossible to make ends meet. And to the church in Smyrna, Jesus writes, I know 
that you are enduring this kind of poverty that makes it impossible to make ends meet. And then what does he say? Yet you are rich. He's not making light of their situation, but reminding them of what true wealth is, true wealth being a relationship with God. Now, this is very different from the church at Laodicea that we'll be looking at in a few weeks. In Laodicea, they were a church that had wealth, great wealth. They were a successful church. They had all the right programs, all the right staffing. Everything was great for Laodicea in the external. But to Laodicea, there were criticisms because though they were rich in things, they were poor in soul. The church in Smyrna was poor in things, but rich in soul. Vance Havner commented, it is not easy to interest a well-fed, well-clothed, well-housed Sunday crowd in the Smyrna brand of Christianity. We are interested by what we get from being a Christian, not the cost. We want to make a bellboy out of God. And I think that's a pretty hard word for us. I think for most of us, we are more like Laodicea than we are like Smyrna. And there is in the back of our minds this belief. I don't know where it comes from, but I think it exists in nearly every one of us that knowing God is to bring me benefit. Our prayers, are they not almost always about what we want, about what we think we should have, about what we think would make our lives better? There was a song way back when I was a kid about, Lord, give me a big house and I'll use it for ministry. Lord, give me a pool and I'll invite the church over. And the irony of the song is that, yeah, you might bring people over, but you really want it for you, don't you? And there are so many people who want to believe this gospel, that God wants me to be happy. God wants me to feel fulfillment. God wants me to have everything I want. God wants me to be happy on my terms and get what I want. That's God's job, isn't it? And I have had people say that straight to my face. God wants me to be happy, doesn't he? So if this makes me happy, and this, the this in one of the situations was a this that was clearly against God's word, then God must want me to have this because my happiness implied is what God wants most. And if you turn on your TV and turn it on to a religious station, I would say almost more often than not, that's the gospel you will hear. The gospel of God wants you to be happy. And sometimes, if you send me enough money, God will make you happy. Now, that's the extreme, and it's usually a lot more subtle than that. It's usually this message that tries to combine the message of Jesus Christ and the message of our culture. 
The message of our culture being that things are what bring satisfaction to our souls. The lack of struggle is what makes life worth living. And therefore, Jesus must want me to not struggle. Jesus must want me to have everything I want. Jesus must want me to be happy. And I have seen people, and I'll tell you something, I have lived it sometimes where I have wanted something from God and I have gotten so angry with God because I believed that what God wanted for me was for me to be happy. And I pray for something and I don't get it. That makes me very unhappy. And I blame God and I get angry with God and maybe you've been there too. I know a lot of others who have. But the message to Smyrna is also a message to us that sometimes what we want is not what we get. Sometimes our lives may be difficult. Now the church at Smyrna, people were born, they lived their whole life and died under this poverty and under this persecution. They never got relief. And we may wonder, you know, and I've said this before, does, isn't God supposed to sort of even things out? Aren't some people, I mean, isn't it, if, if you've gone through something bad, aren't you supposed to then get something really good to make up for it? And if you're going through something good, ooh, you better watch out. You never know when the bad thing's going to happen. We think that's how life works, but it doesn't. There are some people that seem to go from one blessing to another. And most people in our culture sort of hate them. <laughs> there are some people who go from one trial to another. And let me say, I can't make sense of it. But there will be sense made of it, probably not in this life, but in the life to come. Paul writes that it is our light and momentary afflictions that create in us an eternal weight of glory. Now, when Paul says light and momentary afflictions, he's not saying that persecution and suffering is easy. Paul, above everyone, anyone else, should know this. He went through all kinds of griefs, all kinds of trials, because of his faith. Heavy trials. Long-term pain but he could call them light and momentary, not because they were going to end in this life, but because they were preparing an eternal heaviness, an eternal weight of glory. Sometimes the answers to our struggling and pain don't come in this life. Now, if I preach this sermon every week, you might start dropping away. 
you know? If I preach the sermon that God wants to give you everything you want and you pray the right prayer and God will bless you materially and with good health, we might get a lot more people and we've seen it happen elsewhere, haven't we? But our goal has to be faithfulness to this word, faithfulness to God. And sometimes, for some people, suffering is their lot in life. I don't like it. They probably don't like it. But the promise of relief is glorious. The promise of relief is so much bigger than the suffering, no matter how big the suffering is. But the promise of relief sometimes is not fulfilled until we cross over from this life to the next. But when that happens, we will look back and know that all those sufferings, no matter how big they felt then, which is our now, are nothing. In fact, there's a sense scripturally that, that those sufferings, as it says, are creating for us an eternal weight of glory. There's almost a sense that the, the greater the suffering, the greater the glory. And this is the hope that the church at Smyrna is given. And what they are called to do is hold their lampstand high. In other words, Keep the flame of their witness going. A lampstand is not a beacon that blinds people. It's not the fire in a furnace that burns people. A lampstand is warmth and light. It is a flame that stays lit and guides people. I think we as a culture are shifting, we, I know we are, and you know we are too, we're shifting away from some of the, the biblical foundations that our culture sort of shared, whether people believed in Jesus or not, there were certain foundational faith statements that people would make, certain um, attitudes about how life should be lived, and Christians were viewed as valuable people. And that is becoming less and less true. Now, I'll tell you, there are places in the world where it is far, far, far less true than it is even for us now. People who live like the people of Smyrna in constant tribulation, in constant persecution. But we need to be ready for this. And the gospel of health and wealth, the gospel of prosperity, will not carry us through that time. But the truth of God's word, the truth of God's promises can carry us. And if we're being a lampstand, if we're shining the light of truth into the world, we have to do that in a way that gives glory to God not by fighting and demanding our rights, not by trying to recreate our culture into our image, because that doesn't come across very well. 
and people don't understand it because the gospel goes to the heart first. Our witness is to the hearts of people. So what we are called to do is to live this life of faith no matter what degree of persecution or difficulties we endure, to live this light of faith which brings light even into the darkest place because it's a light that source is not in the circumstances of this world but in the promises of God for an eternal life that it will be glorious. That is the promise that the church at Smyrna had to hold on to. That's the promise that we hold on to when things are going well and when things are challenging. And some commentators have said that it may be easier for the church at Smyrna to maintain their faith than it is for the church at Laodicea. Because there are, when things are going well, when everything seems to go our way, we feel fairly self-sufficient. We can handle this on our own. But when things are challenging, when things are hard, we know that our only real hope is in God. And I'm not wishing that kind of persecution and suffering on any of us. But I am saying that God is good, that the promises of God are glorious, and whatever God allows us to endure, we need to endure as those who have a hope outside of this world. We need to endure as those who know that God is good and who know that God will bring new life, that God will ultimately take away all sorrow, all pain, all persecution, all poverty. And we are to trust in those promises of God. Let us pray. Oh God, our Father, this word is not easy to hear. It is not easy to tell. For as much as we want to believe your word, as much as we want to believe your promises, we still like it when life is easier. We still like it when it's our choice, whether to believe in you or not, to, to try to bring together the things of this world and the things of your kingdom and feel like we have the best of both worlds, your promises and all the things that make us happy here. And for many of us, you have granted us that. But we know that we are not truly faithful ultimately to you unless we are willing to trust you no matter what, to make your promises, to make your kingdom the ultimate focus of our lives. 
And sometimes that faith in and of itself will cause us to undergo trials and tribulations. Commitment to you, to your ways and to your truth, will actually cause us pain at the hands of others. And we know that while we do not wish this on ourselves, we want to be willing for that is how you grow your church in many, circum in many situations. Help us to shine our light faithfully through good times and bad times. And Lord, I pray for those who we know of in our own hearts and minds who are struggling one way or another. We pray for your peace, to visit them by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. May your love pour into their hearts by your Holy Spirit's presence with them. And may they know, even in the midst of trial, that you are good and that you have great promises for them. And even as we pray that, we also pray for healing. We pray for you to be at work in ways that demonstrate your power and your goodness. We thank you for your promises. Settle our hearts. Settle our hearts around your truth that we may be faithful to you, that we may have a deep, deep abiding faith that is anchored in your promise, in your goodness in your ultimate grace. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.